good morning. Get my stuff together here real quick. Well, uh, it is it is good to be here today. Um, I want to thank. Uh, come on now, there we go. Technology is great, but sometimes it's not. Um, <laughs> I want to thank Pastor Michael uh, for inviting me here to speak this morning. Uh, it is such an honor to be here. It is. Uh, I mean, I can't tell you how honored I am to be speaking today. Uh, and I want to thank uh, Josh. Where did Josh go? I want to thank Josh, wherever he's at. Uh, I want to thank Josh for allowing me to come up here and play as well. Um, I, I got started in music here at Cornerstone. Um, one of the first times I picked up a bass was here on this stage. The first times I led worship, first times I played uh, was back there in that corner. Um, and so it is, it is uh, I'm just so thankful to be here and to be able to play. Um, yeah, it means a lot. Um, so today we're going to be looking at uh, Psalm 133. It's a very short chapter. Uh, it's only three verses. So we're going to be looking at, at that, that passage today. So I want to give you a second to go ahead and turn over there if you've got your Bibles with you. But I also um, want you, while you're flipping your, uh, your way to Psalm 133, uh, if you get a little piece of paper and stick it in Acts 2 as well. Because uh, what we're going to be talking about today is unity. And we're going to get the why of unity from Psalm 133. And then we're going to go over to Acts 2 and see the how. Um, because unity is hard. Amen. Yeah, yeah, especially in the world we live in today. So we need instruction on how. Um, so we're going to see that in Acts 2. Now, um, before I begin, there's going to be some things today that maybe you disagree with me on, right? I'm going to be talking about some stuff that might be a little bit difficult. And you might be thinking, Jonathan, you went down to South Carolina, and they messed you up. <laughs> and you're not wrong, right? It's South Carolina. Um, <laughs> Uh, but there might be some things you disagree with me on, and that happens. I might, might make some mistakes. I'm human. It's possible. Um, but one thing we should all agree on is the Word of God. There's no mistakes. Um, and so what I want to do is before I begin to speak, I want you to hear uh, clearly what the Word of God says, and then you can judge my words based on what it says here. Um, so if you're physically able, uh, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Uh, I'm going to be reading out of the, the CSB. If you've got a different translation or if you don't have your Bible with you, it should be on the screen here. Um, but here we go, Psalm 133. It says this, How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. It is like fine oil on the head, running down on the beard, running down Aaron's beard onto his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon falling on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has appointed the blessing of life forevermore. Would you pray with me today? Lord, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you that though we live in a very divisive time, God, this moment pales in comparison to the trials of believers that have gone before us and the trials that some believers are going through this very day in other parts of the world. God, you have been a refuge from generation to generation. God, and you will continue to be that refuge for us today. God, I pray that though the trials of life may be great, God, that, that through them and through the conviction of your word, that you would remove all the idols that we have erected that keep us divided from each other and from you, and that today we would seek a unity that comes only from you. Bless me as I speak, Lord. May I be but a mouthpiece for your truth. Holy Spirit, just as you have been with me in the preparation of this message, God, I pray you be with me today as I as I give it. I 
pray this all in the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, you can be seated. Yeah. All right, let's get to it. I got a fantasy football league to manage, a fantasy football team to manage, and I got a lot of people playing at 1 o'clock, so we got to get going. All right. Not to worry, though. All right, maybe some of you might remember me from when I was younger, and you're worried Jonathan is going to keep us till 3 o'clock because he rambles, he is long-winded, um, and I get it, I understand the worry, but nothing to fear. I preach really quick. I, I can't promise us that we're going to be home by, by kickoff, but maybe halftime at least. Uh, the food will still be warm, so you, get, you got that. Um, anyways, so why preach on unity? I mean, I think that is just a very obvious answer there. Why preach on unity? I mean, look at the world around us. Look at how divided things are today, and they have been for a long time. I mean, there's just constant bickering back and forth, anti-vax versus vaccination, mass versus no mass, Republican versus Democrat, conservative versus liberal, this, that, and the other, on and on and on. So much divisiveness in the world, arguing, backbiting, rumors, gossip, outright hatred and hurt, proclaimed face-to-face and on Facebook. The worst part of all of it is, is that the church, the big C church, is not just complicit in it. It's not just letting it happen, but we're contributing to it. And I know what you're thinking, no, 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 not the church. The church isn't, no, 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 not me, not the church. We're not doing this. Yes, the church, or at least people that go to church, are contributing to this, this, this constant arguing and bickering. And I've, I've been on the receiving end of this. I'm not going to go into great detail, but God is trying to do something great in Colombia, and Satan is really trying to make sure it doesn't happen. I've lived on the end of this divisiveness when it seeks into the church, when it, when it gets into the church. And let me tell you, it is life-stealing. It is soul-crushing. So after a lot of reflection, a lot of prayer, I believe that God um, wants to remind us of our sacred call for unity. Especially as we've got so many people that have come together from different churches representing different cultures, different communities, different churches are here to gather together. I think it's important that we are reminded of our call for unity. Now, if we look at this chapter, we find... Um, we find, so in here it talks about harmony amongst believers. That's the phrase that David uses here, but we're going to use the word unity. So we find in this first verse that unity is both good and pleasant. It is beneficial and it is enjoyable. It's good for the world around us and it is good for us. So how, how is it good and pleasant? How is it? I'm glad you asked. David's glad you asked too. If you look at this chapter, it can be broken down like this. Verse 1 is kind of like the thesis. David is saying, unity is good and pleasant. Verse 2, he says, unity is good. Verse 3, it says, unity is pleasant. This is how he's, he's structuring this psalm. So, verse 2. How is unity good? It says, unity is like fine oil on the head running down the beard off of Aaron's beard, the, the high priest of the Old Testament, one of the great high priests in the Old Testament, running down Aaron's beard all the way down his robes. All right. This doesn't sound good to me. This sounds like a mess. 
I'm, I'm a neat freak. I am. I, I like things clean and tidy. And what David just described here sounds like at least 30, 45 minutes of solid cleaning. I'm hoping it's on hardwood, not on the carpet, because that's never coming out. All right. I'm going to use at least a half a roll of uh, paper towels, if not more. Um, it, 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 you know, the Bible says that that oil smells good, but honestly, I'm probably going to hit the shower. I'm going to run my clothes through the washing machine. This sounds like a mess. What is David talking about? What is the picture here? The idea that David is trying to paint, the picture David's trying to paint, is unity is good because unity sets us apart to serve God. Unity is the very thing that gives us the ability to serve God. Without this unity, we can't serve God. See, see this oil that's talked about here is for a specific task. This is a very specific type of oil. He uses... He, he, talks about Aaron here. So this is how we know that he's talking about this oil. This oil was only used to consecrate the high priest. It was only used to set the high priest apart. The high priest was supposed to be the bridge between God and man in the Old Testament. And he couldn't do that job. He couldn't fulfill that responsibility until he had been consecrated head to toe with this oil. He could not do his job until he was covered with this oil. Just like that high priest, we cannot do our job as believers, until we have been consecrated in the oil of unity. We can't. What's our task? Just like Israel was meant to be a light to the world around them, we as the church are meant to be a light in this very dark world. We're supposed to be different. In a world that's full of hate and hurt and divisiveness, we as the body of Christ are different. We, we, don't, we, don't, we don't focus on the little stuff. Yeah, those things, we have those opinions, we have those differences. Yeah, sure. But when we come together, those things fade away. We are different. We're set apart, different than the rest of the world. That's the only way we can do what we've been called to do. Without this unity, well, you ask me, who's going to want to be a part of this church? Any church. When there's fighting, bickering, and backbiting. It doesn't matter how good Christ looks. It doesn't matter how great Christ is or what he can do for them. If when they come to church and they see nothing but arguing and backbiting and bickering from Christians, forget it. I'm going to go somewhere else or not go at all. Unity is what sets us apart to do what God has called us to do. Without it, we're just a country club. Just coming together, having some good food, having some good music. Listening to a good message, that's it. We can't do what we're called to do, which is make disciples who make disciples without it. So unity is good because it sets us apart to do what God has called us to do. So we see unity is good. How is it pleasant? Verse 3, David says that, that unity, unity, harmony amongst brothers, is like the dew off of Hermon falling onto the mountains of Zion. Now, you might not be familiar with these climates. I've never been there myself. Never don't know this stuff firsthand, right? But what I do know is this. Zion is hot. Zion is dry. The Israelites who would have had this psalm memorized, who would have sung it, um, you know, weekly, daily, whatever, they would have had this psalm memorized. They had this part of the law was that three times a year, they would all travel to Jerusalem for these festivals. They would all travel to Jerusalem where Mount Zion is. They would travel there to gather together to celebrate their history, to celebrate uh, their connection to God, much like what we're doing here today. They would travel to Jerusalem three times a year. Two times out of that year would be during the summer. Not an ounce of rain falls 
around Jerusalem in that time of year. It is dry, as tan as the eye can see. Lips are cracked, tongue is swollen, you're dehydrated. You're praying that God would give you just a little bit of rain because you've got a couple more days to go till you get to Zion, to Jerusalem. But they would also know this other mountain, Mount Hermon. Hermon, completely different. Mount Hermon, it, it is green as far as the eye can see. The rain, the dew just sits on that mountaintop. And the vegetation, it is, it is lush, it is juicy. Right? So while you're, while you're walking, imagine if you're, you're one of these Israelites going to Jerusalem. You're walking to Jerusalem, and it is hot. You're tired. You've got a couple more days. You're walking out in this hot sun, and, and you're just praying, God, if you could just get a little bit of that dew from Mount Hermon, that's just a little bit of that dew, come down and wet my tongue just a little bit. That's the image here. Unity is pleasant because it's refreshing. Unity is that dew that comes and waters the ground. All right, if anybody's been in here, anybody here done like construction or, or landscaping or yard work out in the middle of the summer, you know what it's like. You get done with that hot day out there, and you're, you're, just, you're just dry as, all can, as, as can get out. And, and you're that, that first glass of water, right? That first glass of water after a hot day out in, out in the sun working. That first glass of water. That shower that, that washes away all the dust and the dirt from the day. That's unity. That's, it's refreshing. In a world full of, of hate and heartache and hurt, of disappointment and, dis, and division, of loss and lies, in a world full of that, unity is due in the desert. Unity is life itself. When you've been broken down by the world, when you've been crushed by a day at work, you can, you can be refreshed by your brothers and sisters in Christ. You can feel life again because you know you got a family. Not just your immediate family, but a church family, a body of Christ there to lift you up. That is that unity. That's what he's talking about here. It's refreshing. It's worth pursuing. Unity is good because it sets us apart to do what God calls us to do. And unity is pleasant because it is refreshing. David finish off, uh, finishes off this chapter by saying, For there, where unity exists, there the Lord has appointed the blessing of life forevermore. God commands a blessing of life when unity is present. And I, I tell you what, I would cheer for Duke just to have a little bit of that. All right? I mean... Look, this is hyperbole, right? It's not really going to happen. But, <laughs> but it's good, man. I could use some of that life. Amen. Could anybody else use some life today? Amen. That is unity. That's unity. That's this picture that David's got for us. Oh, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. So we see that this is worth pursuing. We see the why behind unity. This is worth pursuing. This is worth going after. Amen. This is worth finding. This is worth achieving this kind of unity amongst believers. But how can we do it? I mean, is it just an ideal? Is it just something that we strive for, but we can never actually get? Is it just a pleasant picture to help us sleep at night? Is it, can it be a reality? Well, we find that in Acts 2, so you can go ahead and turn over there 
Acts 2, 42 through 47. And it says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and their property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every single day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So can this be achieved? We see it here in the book of Acts, that it, it can be a reality. I want to give you just a little bit of context to frame this in. Right? This is the beginning of the early church. This is when it was founded. Right? So this, this, this takes place, this, this occurrence in Acts takes place during one of those pilgrimages. Right? This was the, the, the Feast of Shavat or, or the Feast of uh, Pentecost. And so you had Jewish people from all over the Roman Empire that were coming together to Jerusalem to celebrate this history, to celebrate what God had done in their lives. Uh, to offer thanks for that. So you've got people from all over the world, all over the known world, coming together, filling up Jerusalem, staying there. And then the Holy Spirit descends on the apostles. And they get the little uh, tongues of fire over their head. They begin speaking in tongues. They proclaim the word of God. The Holy Spirit fills the place. And 3,000, if I'm not mistaken, thousands at least, were brought to Christ in that instant. Peter proclaims the gospel and thousands come to Christ. Many of us may know that story. But here's the thing. It didn't just end there. They didn't just go home. They didn't say, oh man, that was awesome, cool. Well, the festival's over. I got to pack my bags. You know, I got stuff taking place at home. I got a guy coming by. I, I, need, to, I need to get back there. No, they stayed. For days and weeks and months. The Holy Spirit had just done something miraculous in their lives. And they didn't just leave. They stayed there to figure it out. To, 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 to grow together. And so you have this, this picture here of this harmony. What we see in Psalm 133, this amazing, beautiful picture, we see it lived out. It's not just a fantasy that David concocted in his head. This is a reality for the early church. They had all things in common, right? They're, they're traveling from all over the world. They were planning on just coming for a couple days, and now they're staying for weeks and months. So, so some of the other believers are like, all right, I'm going to sell this, I'm going to sell that. All right, you, you, you're, you're, you're stayed up over at, at, this, at, this, uh, at this end. All right, let me sell this over here so I can help you out. Oh, you only brought like a couple days worth of food? L let me sell this, or you can have this food right here, you know. So you have this, this picture of, of unity there, all right? They lived together in harmony. There was joy and humility. They were eating at each other's home. They were going from house to house to house, eating together. They, they, were, they were meeting in the temple to read God's word, to study God's word. They were praying together. And, and, and this wasn't just contained in their body of believers. It said that everyone experienced the favor of them. So the whole Roman Empire, Jerusalem, all around them, they, they, were, they were being affected by this harmony that was experienced by the believers. And the result was that every single day the Lord was adding to their number those who were being saved. This is what we read in Psalm 133. This is, this is what they're doing. They're, they're, they're doing what they're called to do. 
And they're being refreshing. Their, their lives are being refreshed. The lost are being saved. They're experiencing spiritual life. And believers who, who maybe have had hard times, they're experiencing a newness of life, a fullness of life. This is this beautiful example of harmony that we see in Acts 2. Why doesn't it happen today? Why don't I see that in my own life? Why don't we see that in our churches? I mean, surely they had their disagreements, right? They're coming from all over the world. One person cheered for Bethlehem U. Another guy cheered for Jordan State. They couldn't be talking together, right? This guy, this guy he's, he claims that the Dead Sea is just a myth. You know, you can't actually float on the Dead Sea. That's crazy. You're a conspiracy theorist. This other guy's like, no, man. I'm there every week. I take my morning coffee out there. I, look, I read the paper on the Dead Sea. All right, so they're bickering and they're arguing. One guy, he's like, you know what? The governor and the high priest, they're in cahoots together, right? They've, they've turned their back on the Jewish nation. And the other guy's like, no, 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 man. They're sent from God. How dare you say that? They had these opinions. They had these disagreements. And yes, this was a miraculous event, but it didn't just change all their opinions. It didn't just change everything, you know, all the little squabbles they would have had. They're still unique people. God still designs us to be different. We still have differences. And so even though the Holy Spirit did this miraculous thing in their life, they were still going to have these disagreements. How did they achieve unity? I don't want to scare you guys, but you know that, that Christmas and Thanksgiving are like right around the corner. Right, you know that's coming. You know that's, that's soon. If you don't, here's your warning. Right, it's a couple months. You got some time. Right. I can't say too much because I got a lot of family here today. But <laughs> we all have people in our family that we gotta watch out for and make sure that they're not talking to other people in our family. Right, because some uh, topics might come up and grab your popcorn because it's gonna be fight night. Right. <laughs> And, and for a night, for like Thanksgiving or Christmas, maybe even a weekend, we can keep them separated. We can keep it civil. It's all good. You know, something comes up and we're like, oh, hey, look, the game is on. Let's see, look over there. Right? We can do that for a night or for a weekend. But imagine a week goes by and they're still living in your house. Imagine a month goes by and they're still living in your house. You can keep that argument at bay for only so long. And then it's going to reach ahead. And my feelings are going to get hurt. Words are going to get said. And you might not see them for a while. All right? This is a situation that we could have here in Acts. They had disagreements. They had arguments. They had opinions. And they weren't just staying together for a weekend or a dinner or whatever. They were there together for weeks and weeks and months and months. I'm not sure how long. The scripture doesn't say how long they, they were there in common, but it was a while that they were there worshiping together. So how did they keep the arguments at bay? How did they keep this picture of unity? Well, it all goes back to that first verse in this passage I read. Verse 42. Everything else is an extension of that. Everything else, that picture of harmony, is all dependent upon this one verse, this one sentence. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, 
and to prayer. I want you guys to have that in your head, so I want you to say it with me, okay? All right? You can read it right there. It's going to be right up there. All right, let's go. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Those four things kept them united. Their devotion to those four things is what kept them from all the petty squabbles. Those devotion, the devotion to those four things resulted in day after day the Lord adding to their number those who were being saved. I'm not going to go into great detail about these four things, but I want to give you just a flyby of what, what it looks like. Because if we want unity, if we want harmony, if we want to be set apart to serve God and to experience that life ourselves, we have to be devoted to these four things. Without them, we don't have unity. Without them, we don't have harmony. Without them, we don't have life. The first one, the apostles' teaching. That's the word of God right here. All right? It's, not, it's not, just, not just for the apostles themselves. Right? This is everybody was devoted to these things. Everybody was devoted to reading this word, to understanding this word, to getting it in them. Right? It says in verse 46 in that same passage that every day they went to the temple together to hear the word of God taught. It wasn't just, all right, I did my, 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 my daily bread, I read a quick psalm, and I, and I went on. No, they were wanting to know what God said about himself in his word. They were devoted to this. And it wasn't, it wasn't just the pastors, it wasn't just the preachers, it wasn't just the worship leaders, the deacons, the elders, it wasn't just the higher-ups. Everyone was devoted to this. Brother and sister in Christ, if you call yourself a Christian, you've got to be devoted to this. Doesn't mean you have to go to seminary, doesn't mean you have to go to Bible college, doesn't mean any of that. It just means that you're devoted to understanding what it says. If you don't feel comfortable and confident in that, guess what? There are tons of resources, there are tons of books that teach you how to study God's Word. If you don't feel comfortable and you feel like you don't understand what it is, hey, guess what? You've got brothers and sisters in Christ all around you. Go ask one of them, hey, can you help me? I see that you really, I think you really got a grasp on this. Can you help me with this? Go meet together. Study the Word of God together. Right? When, when we study it by ourselves, that's how we get heresy. That's how we get bad doctrine. Study it together. If you're a brother and sister in Christ, you've been, if, you, if you're a Christian and you've been a Christian for a while, you've been in churches for a while, you should know what this says. And you should be looking for other younger believers to come alongside and say, hey, help, let, me, let me help you with this. You know, I've been walking through this for a while. Let me help you. It's what we're called to do. It's what we're called to do. And without a devotion to this, we can't have unity. So they were devoted to fellowship, too, the second thing. And I know what you're thinking. Yeah, all right, we got that one. We got that one. We're about to have some fellowship, right? We're about to have some fellowship over some barbecue and a wad of napkins, right? But I think as Baptists, we know that we've watered down that word a good bit. All right. Fellowship's not just about eating together. It's about doing life together. It means more than just, hey, let's go to a potluck. You know? It means doing life together. And yeah, that requires some vulnerability. It requires some trust. And you might get hurt. But it's about, it's about doing life together. We've got to be devoted to it. We, we can't have unity without fellowship. That's the cornerstone of fellowship, of unity, is that fellowship. 
right? As we're glow, just like two sides of a triangle, if, if, we're, if we're seeking to grow closer to God, we're going to be growing closer to each other. We're going to be growing in that intimacy with one another. I'm going to know what, what needs you have. I know what hurts you have. I'm going to be there for you. And you're going to know that about me too. We've got to have this. We've got to have devotion to it. That third devotion, the breaking of bread. And okay, so we do get to eat. We do get to eat. Breaking of bread. Nope. That's not it. That's not what he's talking about here. The devotion of breaking of bread, that, that's directly referencing the Lord's Supper. Okay, that's, that's what he's talking about. A devotion to the Lord's Supper. Commitment to that. Okay. And now, if, if you go over to, to 1 Corinthians 11, Paul talks a lot about the Lord's Supper. It's the passage that always gets read before we, we, we eat the bread and we drink the, we drink the, the juice. Um, that's that's the, the passage that always gets read right there, 1 Corinthians 11. And we see Paul explaining what this actually means, what a devotion to the Lord's Supper means. And it's not just coming together and, and, and eating these, 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 this, this, this bread and this, and this, this juice. It's about a commitment about accountability. Paul says that, that if, if, you, if you're going to take of the Lord's Supper, you should spend some time of self-reflection. Before you do that, you should examine yourself. You should spend some time doing that. And you know what? If you've got some things wrong, if you've got some disagreements with your brother and sister, or maybe you've got some stuff to work out between you and God, maybe you just don't. Maybe you're just sitting there, and everybody's around taking the Lord's Supper. Maybe you should just, you know what? I've got some stuff going on in my heart, and I just need to not. It's about accountability. And if I see you abstaining from taking the Lord's Supper, then you know what I'm going to do right afterwards? I'm going to come with you. Hey, man, what's going on? Everything all right? What do you need? And if you see me not taking the Lord's Supper, then I'm going to hope that you're going to come up to me and say, hey, man, you got some stuff going on? What can I pray for you for? What's happening? And it's not a judgmental thing. It's not, a, oh, look at me, I'm so self-righteous. I've got everything figured out, and I'm holding you accountable because you're a wicked sinner. No, it's, hey, man, we're supposed to be growing. We're supposed to be following after God. We're supposed to be maturing in our walk with God. And I want to help you out. And I want you to help me out. Because, you know, I fall, I fail, I got stuff wrong sometimes. But I'm hoping, I'm praying that my brothers and sisters in Christ are devoted to accountability enough to say, hey man, that's wrong. Let's get you back on track. That's what he's talking about here. This devotion to breaking of bread is a devotion to accountability, to holding others accountable and being held accountable yourself. So we have a devotion to his word. We have a devotion to fellowship. We have a devotion to accountability. And the last one, if we want this kind of unity, if we want harmony, if we want life, We've got to be devoted to prayer. And it's not just individual prayer. It's corporate prayer. It's coming together. Say, hey, man, we're going to spend some time tonight. We're going to pray. Are we going to eat? Or are we going to play some music? Or are we going to do read or something? No, 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 man, we're just going to pray. That's what we're going to do. We're just going to pray. We're going to be devoted to that. And it's not just talking to God. It's not just ranting and raving to God. It's listening. And that's uncomfortable. All right? But it's about pouring your heart out to God and saying, God, this is what I'm going through. And then just, just, just being quiet. God, what do you have to say to me? It's not just praying when you need God most. It's 
It's about making it a devotion to where every day, every minute, it's just as natural as breathing. Prayers coming out of me are just like the breath coming out of my lung. That's the devotion we've got here. This is how we achieve unity. This is how we achieve the harmony that David talked about in Psalm 133 and that the early church lived in Acts 2. So my question for us today is, what are we devoted to? What am I devoted to? Am I, am I more concerned about finding that source that perfectly backs up my argument on the internet? Or am I concerned about finding out what God actually says about himself in his word? Am I devoted to getting my needs met and my preferences met and having my way? Or am I devoted to finding out what you need and being there for you? Am I more... Do I get more excited about, about, about hearing what's going on in your life so I can share it to others and gossip about all the things that are going wrong in your life? Or am I more concerned about coming alongside you and saying, yeah, man, I know you got this going on. Let me help you. I could sit here and gossip and tell all these juicy stories about you, but I don't want that. I want to help you because you're my brother or my sister in Christ. Am I more apt to have hate and hurt on my lips or am I going to have prayer on my lips? These things are so important because without them, we don't have unity. And without unity, we can't do what we're supposed to do. There are lost and dying people in the world, and if we don't have unity, they're going to stay that way. If we don't have unity, they're going to stay that way. See, when I'm consumed and devoted to these four things, and all that small stuff, it's just nothing. When I'm consumed by God, I don't care. When I'm consumed and focused on Jesus, my eyes can't be focused on all this other stuff. Yeah, me and you might have differences of opinion. Yeah, me and you might have different political beliefs. We might have different policy beliefs. We might have different all kinds of stuff. But when I see that the Holy Spirit that moves in you is the same Holy Spirit that moves in me, I don't care. I don't care about the nonsense. Because you're my brother or my sister in Christ, and that is all that matters. And there are lost and dying people in this world, and that's all that matters. We don't, we don't lose our opinions. We don't you lose these differences. God made us different for a reason. We have life experiences that make us different. And those things don't just go away. But I could care less about them when I'm devoted to him. Verse 47 says that day by day, people were coming to Christ. People were being saved because of the love that existed in the church. Wouldn't that be a novel concept? If people saw the love that we had in here and in our own churches and they thought, I can't, I don't care what, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that. They love each other there. They got harmony. This guy is from this area. This guy's from that area. But, but they love each other. This guy's a Democrat. This guy's a Republican. But they love each other. 
This guy believes this way and this guy believes this way. But they're, they're going to they're gonna sacrifice those things because they love each other. What a novel concept. People come to Christ because they see the love that we have. John 13, Jesus says that the world is going to know you're my disciple because of your love for one another. Does the world know you're his disciple because of the love you have for your brother and sister in Christ? 1 John 1 says this, If you say you're in the light, but you hate your brother, you're in darkness. And if you say you're in the light, but you walk in darkness, you're a liar. And the truth is nowhere to be found in you. If you say you're a believer in Christ, if you say you're a follower of Jesus, and you hate your brother, you are a liar. And I'm begging you, stop using that word. Stop saying you're a Christian because you're hurting. You're hurting you're hurting other Christians by that. We've got to get this right. And it is hard. I'm not saying it's easy. It is tough. It is tough to let things go. It is tough to overlook those things and say, I love you still. And I'm going to be devoted to those things. I'm going to be devoted to you. But we've got to do it. The Holy Spirit inside us gives us that power, gives us that ability to live this way. We can't do it without Him. It's my prayer that each of us would make that decision to be devoted to the Word of God, to fellowship, to accountability, and to prayer. David says that when we are God commands the blessing. It's not an option. God commands it of life forevermore. I want that life. So as hard as it may be, I'm going to make the choice to make sure I'm devoted to those things. And it is my prayer that you would make the same choice. Would you pray with me?